we know from scripture and from our own experience that there are people who will either follow God and people who will decisively reject God and their disdain for religion in general. As people of the world, we view all of life through the lens of scripture, right? We're, we're Christian and as we live here uh, in this world as Christians, we interpret reality through scripture. And we believe that God has not left us in the dark, but has revealed himself through nature, but also through his holy word. And through his revelation, we have access to God's wisdom, which is available to those, according to scripture, who have ear and are willing to take heed to wisdom's cry. We see that, uh, that sort of thing expressed in Proverbs 120, where it says, wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the market. She raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out, and at the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. But I think it's important to note that the wisdom in Proverbs, which is uh, what we'll be discussing today, the wisdom in Proverbs is not wisdom that's necessarily rooted in a particular culture, for a particular group with specific religious beliefs. The Proverbs present themselves to all peoples as general truths that are universal. And what this essentially means is that the Proverbs are not to be taken as Western wisdom or even Eastern wisdom, uh, but the very wisdom of God himself uh, revealed to man. What this also means is that the wisdom throughout this book, the book of Proverbs, is, uh, is reality-based, which means that a denial of its wisdom is really a denial of reality. And that's how we ought to see what's being expressed in the book of Proverbs. And those who, can't see, those who can't see the light of its wisdom have their minds darkened by ignorance. And throughout the Proverbs, you'll, you'll hear two voices speaking, right? You'll hear wisdom that is reality-based and folly, which is a denial of reality itself. Now, turn to your Bibles to uh, Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to put it up in the screen, but I suggest that you have it in front of you. As we, as we go through it and you look uh, back and forth at, at the verses that are there. Proverbs 1. And we're going to be covering verses 8 through 19. Can I have a volunteer read that? Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. They say, Come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us, we will have, we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste shed blood. For in vain it is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Thank you, brother. So you may recall a time in your youth when you were young, uh, when you felt your parents were always talking beyond you. Is that, do you remember a time like that? I do. 
uh, the things that they would warn you about always seem to either be irrelevant or disconnected to where you were in that particular time uh, of hearing your parents' advice. Uh, things like, be careful not to take candy from strangers. They might use it to trick you into getting into their car so they can kidnap you. Okay? Advice like that, for me at least, always seemed kind of unrealistic. Uh, first of all, as a youth, at least to me, uh, it was hard for me to imagine uh, falling for that kind of trick. Uh, I, I didn't like candy that bad. And I, it was hard for me to imagine me following a trail of uh, Sour Patch Kids into some strange van. <laughs> but anyways, in general, it is a common attitude uh, of young boys and girls to struggle in receiving the instructions of their parents. Uh, with, a few, with a few exceptions, of course. Um, but in all seriousness, parental advice is usually more than just things like avoid candy from strangers. Uh, oftentimes, uh, parental advice is things that at the moment we don't find uh, uh, relevant, but later on you'll see its, its relevancy. Uh, and the Proverbs help us to see the importance of parental advice. And you see that right away as we, as we get into the, the passage for today. Uh, many teens and young adults have walked down a path that has led them to terrible places in their lives. And it all could have been prevented if only they took the words of their father and mother more seriously. Beginning at uh, verses 8 through 9, look at, look at your Bible. Uh, we jump right into the first collection of Proverbs uh, in a style of poetry that serve uh, the specific function of admonishing the youth, right? Uh, which we read about a few verses before that. Uh, if you look at verse 4 of that same chapter, you see... It says, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. You see that connection there. Uh, that's its point. That's its goal. And right away in verse 8, um, you have uh, the statement, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now, uh, before we get further into the verses, I want to give you some literary background to this. In the wisdom tradition and the ancient Near East, the wisdom literature typically began with a call of attentiveness. Uh, and this is what we see right away with our verse uh, in verse 8. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. And notice, notice that urgent call uh, for attentiveness. Uh, the verse here seems to capture the sense of kind of like a warning to the child to listen carefully. Uh, if you can imagine a parent speaking in a way that knows that this might be the only chance to hopefully communicate some important words uh, to their child. This is sort of the tone of that. Um, and this is why it begins with that urgent uh, attentiveness. We also see that both the father and mother's headship over the child is expressed there. You see it's not only the father, but the father also points to the mother's teaching as well. Um, you, you see that part with the mother uh, mother's teaching, it, it says, when he, it says, forsake not your mother's teaching. That word there is Torah, which is the Hebrew word for teaching, basically. Uh, and the reason why I point out that word Torah, uh, which I think is an important side note, is that uh, as we read the Proverbs, the Hebrew word Torah is used often, like multiple times in, in Proverbs. And it typically means human teaching. But you'll see at least four times when the word 
sounds more like divine instruction and is used in the same way uh, as it does when it speaks of human teaching, uh, it often trans it's often translated as law, almost like divine law. And I'll give you an example. Uh, Proverbs 28, 7 says, The one who keeps the law, and the word there is Torah, is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. And so in this context, Torah is used in a way as it relates to son and father. However, this language is familiar. Uh, we know that this language of one who keeps the law is usually or, or often associated with uh, keeping divine instruction. Anyway, that's just an observation. Uh, but I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good thing to keep in mind as we consider even the father and mother's instruction here in the passage today, as we read it and understand it, we also must take it as divine instruction as well. In other words, it's not a private conversation and we're just kind of peering in. Uh, this is something that applies to us as Christians, as God's word. Anyway, uh, let's look at uh, verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> uh, we see that the father continues in his urgent call for attentiveness by, attentiveness by speaking convincingly about why wisdom from his father and mother is as a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. You see that there? And these metaphors portray the effect of wisdom as the garland is a symbol of victory. So he's saying, when you heed to your father and mother's instruction, it is, it is, it is like uh, the garland, which is a symbol of victory. And look at, look at how that same... Uh, word, garland, is used in uh, Proverbs 4.9. I'll show you up there. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. See that? See how it's used there? And also the pendants for your neck are symbols of luxury. And you can see that in Judges uh, 8.26 where it says, and the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was uh, 1,700 shekels of gold besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And so we see that uh, pendants were worn by kings. Now, together, a symbol of victory and luxury, I think perfectly describe what Wisdom is on a person who lives by it, right? The father and mother are giving wisdom to the child for him to take heed, teaching. And if he's the type of child that takes his parents' wisdom, at least the wisdom that, that we see here in Scripture, godly wisdom, it is, uh, in a sense, uh, a, a symbol of victory, a symbol of luxury, uh, they adorn, basically, the wise person. Uh, they prove the person to be victorious over folly, or the folly of this world, and are to be seen as beautiful and attractive. Have you ever, have you ever seen a brother or sister in Christ who walks in wisdom, how attractive that is? And I don't mean that in a sensual uh, kind of way, 
you know, I mean it in its beauty in and of itself. Uh, we've all experienced how attractive and beautiful wisdom is when we see someone walking in its ways and we're drawn to such beauty. And why are we drawn to such beauty? It's because they're, they're carrying upon themselves the wisdom of God. God who is the epitome of beauty and, 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 uh, and the symbol of uh, victory and overcoming. Uh, all that is encompassed in God's wisdom and when a person wears it, it adorns them. Moving along, we've talked about how important it is for the son here to really heed to the instruction and teaching of his parents. So, what are the parents' instructions here? And you see, as you go right into verse 10, it says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If sinners entice you, do not consent. What does that mean? Uh, Well, the word entice... The word entice here means the same as the word when it's used in Judges 14, 15, which is the equivalent of the word seducing. In other words, the instruction that the father has for his son is, if sinners seduce you, do not fall into it. And uh, based on the context, the seduction here is a kind of luring of someone into joining them, into into taking part into some sinful activity. Now, I want you to think back to a time when you were younger again, where you may have had some friends or peers who have enticed or seduced you into doing something that was wrong. Uh, And this this may be participating in some activity that you knew was against the rules, or this could be an activity that you partook in that had serious long-term consequences that you probably are still dealing with, whether mentally or, or in some way internally. Think about something from the past, maybe when you were younger, um, of a moment when you were lured and enticed by uh, wrongdoing by other peers and, or other, other people. Um, now, not, uh, I was going to say, not, not to take away from your own responsibility for your actions, but have you considered why someone would even want to lure you into doing something wrong? Uh, what's in it for them? Why does evil and misery love company? And it seems that this is a way, this is a way of the flesh. It's a pattern uh, that is deeply rooted in fallen humanity. The desires that come from our sinful hearts are, like, are basically like viruses that desire to contaminate everything. And as we, uh, as we fall, we want to take other people down with us. And I think that's just the way of the flesh. We want to bring others in destruction along with our destruction. And this is a big theme that you'll see as we continue on in the book. Um, and so the father's instruction to the son is not to allow sinners to entice you. Uh, and by sinners, he means those who are defined by sin. Not just every, you know, because all of us are sinners. But he speaks specifically about those who are defined by sin and make sin a regular practice. Don't be enticed by them. He says not to consent or, or to go along with, but on the contrary, resist that sort of temptation. Now, as we go through the next verses, I want you to notice that the Father's counsel is not instruction for the Son to resist the enticement of sin only, but also to resist sin's paths. Right? It's not just resist people, resist the temptation of uh, being lured by uh, someone's scheme, but also resist their paths. And this speaks more of 
of the instru this instruction speaks more in a broad sense. And oftentimes we as believers fall into the seduction of the world as we try to live a as we try to live as close as possible to their likeness and even walk in their paths just as long as we don't violate some specific sin. And I think that's something that we need to consider as Christians. Um, you know, don't be tempted to walk as close as possible, you know, like the world without necessarily uh, violating some specific sin. We are to stay away from its path in general. Uh, we must be wise. And sin is subtle. And it begins very small in our hearts. And we must, we, we must resist that uh, temptation to, to draw close to the path of sin. Now look at how the Father describes their ways. Right? He says, if they say, come with us, let us lie in, wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, this is verse 12, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall, we shall fill our houses with, with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. So here, the specific illustration that the father is giving to the son is, is one of a group of people who are basically bloodthirsty. Uh, verse 11 says that they ambush the innocent without reason. Now, this may sound like a group of terrorists with radical ideologies, right? Don't join that group of, of terrorists with, with radical ideologies, but don't, don't, don't be fooled by that. Uh, I, this concept of people who are wanting to do uh, wickedness for no reason is very close to home. Uh, this, uh, group, groups that want to come together to do harm to other people, I think that's very common in our culture. I remember as a student in high school and even in college how strong the pressure was from everyone else, this pressure that was put upon me as a student to show off or to be tough. Um, and, and to rebel. Violence was glorified. And poor innocent students and even teachers were often attacked violently while other students simply watch and laugh and they do it collectively, which is, which is interesting. They join together to laugh at other people's harm. And in today's times, uh, we see things like harmful pranks and violence that are done for no reason while others just simply laugh at it uh, and they pull out their camera phones and they record it to post it on YouTube, uh, that's, that's very common, uh, people just circling around uh, these kinds of activities, uh, violence for no reason. Uh, if you search the web right now, you may find videos of fights, uh, violence being done to elderly people, um, videos of child abuse, and many other extremely disturbing things. And, and a lot of it is done in the name of comedy. They just do it to film something, to record something, to post it so that people would laugh at it. And that's, that's what we see in our culture today. So this concept of ambushing the innocent, as we, what we read here in the Proverbs, you know, ambushing the innocent without reason is, is a lot more closer to home than we think. Now, the father in the Proverbs seems to be warning his son of these kinds of people. And he goes on in verses 12 through 14 to describe what people like that would say, and this is how he says it. He says they would say, like Sheol, 
Let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down the pit, go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall find our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. Now, Sheol, which is the word for the realm of death, is depicted here as death that is ready to swallow its victims. Right? It says, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. Uh, Psalm 143.3 describes Sheol as the place of darkness. Um, another verse, Job 7.9 describes Sheol as a place of no return. And so when it's used here in the Proverbs, it's used poetically as to describe the evil desire of certain people to gang up on other people, to do violence to them, and like death itself, to grab them at a moment when they least expect it and kill them, or, or to do what they will with them. And, you know, what's the point of this kind of violence? Well, uh, as we talked about it before, the blood thirst is a carnal desire. It's an end to itself. And this speaks about the depravity of man. And this is something I think that um, we should look even within ourselves. Um, sometimes we tend to look at a group of people out there and not recognize that those desires, if fed, beginning in seed form, uh, can develop, can grow. And you, you too can become this type of person. Amber? Um, could you just repeat Yeah. Yeah, I, I mentioned Psalm 143.3, which uh, describes Sheol as a place of darkness. And then Job 7.9, which talks about Sheol as a place of no return. And so uh, this, it, this uh, bloodthirstiness, um, like I mentioned before, oftentimes we see uh, incidences with people doing some crazy things like school shootouts, things like that. And we tend to point a finger and say, oh, those people are crazy. Um, but the same sin that lives in them may live in you, at least in seed form. You know, how many times have we uh, gotten angry at someone? Uh, it's, it's not murdering them in a physical sense, but it may be that in a seed, a seed form, uh, and we see Jesus talk about this. Um, but again, we, we, we see this um, in our society and we have to recognize it as um, the sinful desires of the flesh. Um, something that if we don't guard ourselves, we, we, can, we can lead in a path that's very similar. Uh, have you ever wondered why a psychopath or a uh, serial killer has gotten to the point uh, where he, he's done what he's done? In, in their mind, as twisted as it may be, they, have, they probably have justified themselves all the way through till that point of doing their murder or their killing. Um, in other words, the person is not as conscious of this, the severity of his actions as we often think that they are. And this is not to justify them in any way. They're, they're guilty before God and God will punish them for, for those actions. But you see that this is a reality in, in uh, mankind. So the warning against is for the, the son not to be lured by that, right? And why, why would someone have to be told, hey, don't, don't be lured by 
uh, ganging up on people and killing them. I mean, that almost seems obvious. Like, of course I'm not going to do that, Father. Um, but the Father, in his wisdom, knows that, um, that any man is capable of being lured into that sort of path. And so again, what's the point of this kind of violence? Uh, Bloodthirst is a carnal desire and an end in itself. However, we see that the kinds of people that the Father is describing is the people who seek to also profit from that violence. We see that in verse 13 through 14, uh, which says, We shall find all precious goods. We shall find our houses with plunder. No, I'm sorry. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. And so part of the enticement is to convince the son that humble work uh, is not enough. This is the temptation, right? When, when the son, or if the son is tempted by such people to come join this gang, join this violence, uh, you're going to profit from it. What's being fed in his head is that humble work is not enough. Do this, live this kind of lifestyle, and you will profit more than just the regular average person who's out there in the work, in the work field, right? Humble work is not enough. Uh, the hardship that comes with ordinary work is not bringing you the financial gain that you deserve. Uh, you shouldn't work for anyone, those kinds of ideas. Be your own boss. Do not be under anyone's rule. Rule yourself, even if it means to do away with any moral values that were imposed to you or imposed on you in your upbringing. You've suffered long enough under economical injustices. Throw in your lot among us and we will all have one purse. These are all forms uh, of uh, enticing the person to come and live that lifestyle. By the way, notice, notice the sinner's own formulation of justice. Right? Apparently it seems right in the mind to the sinner to appeal to uh, equality and distribution of blood money from one purse. In other words, I'd probably say to the son to also be careful of their social economical perspectives as well um, as, as people who think that um, what's going on out there is unfair oftentimes these ideas, these socio-economical ideas are not biblical justice and so they, they, they justify their lifestyle their actions um, because they think that according to their own understanding of justice um, that this is, the, this is the right thing to do. The bottom line, I think, is presented in verse 15. You see that there. It says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. So the father immediately instructs the son to resist walking in the, in the way with them. He then says, hold back your foot from their paths. Now notice, use, using the words way and path there, um, and, and even throughout the Proverbs, um, were common analogies used in ancient wisdom literature as symbols of lifestyle or patterns that shape your living. In other words, don't uh, hold back your foot from these forms of lifestyles, these these. Uh, these patterns that will eventually shape your living, your life. 
So, so the call to hold back your foot acknowledges that if you take one step in that direction, you will fall. In other words, sin must be rejected at the first temptation of it. That's the call to the Christian, and that's the advice of the Son. Resist temptation right away. Reject it at the first temptation. Uh, Listen to the words of Psalm 119, 14 through 15. Can someone read that up there? Yes, see that command, depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. Someone read uh, James 1.15. Yeah, so uh, entertaining any kind of temptation or any kind of sin um, is conceiving or it's the beginning form of, of, uh, of sin that grows up in you. Uh, and when it's fully grown, it, it, it brings forth death. Yes, brother? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You don't even notice uh, its effects. Yeah. So this serves as a warning to the son in the Proverbs, but also serves as a warning to us that we should refuse even the association that can lead to that sin, or lead to sin. Now, this is not to add laws to God's law. We don't want to do that either. That's a sin in and of itself. We want to avoid temptation in that direction as well. Um, But what it means to guard yourself, to not uh, step forward into that direction, is to uh, guard yourself also of association in any way, shape, or form that can lead to, to a path of sin. Look at Psalm 1. 1 through 4, said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It's, it, notice how it speaks of a few steps outside of the actual sin or the path. You know, in the, it says, uh, man who walks not in the counsel, stands in the way, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It goes on to say, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What's the point of meditating on God's law? It's to train yourself, to train your body, to train your mind, to submit your body to God's way, right? And as you meditate, meaning don't just read, oh, I remember commandment number one, I remember commandment number two. Meditate on it. Consider how the laws apply to everyday life. Try to think of its implications as you meditate on God's law, and you'll see it will affect how you walk. Uh, verse 3 says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, you know, sometimes we, we're allergic to the word prosper because we, we think about the prosperity gospel. But prospering in the sense of... Uh, of uh, in a spiritual sense, in, in the sense that you grow and you are productive in the, in the things that related to the kingdom of God, right? In all that he does, he prospers. That means you in your workplace, you uh, in, in the life that God has given you, if you're a mother, you prosper there as you meditate on God's, God's law, you prosper as a mother. Uh, 
for the glory of God, for the glory of Christ. Uh, if you, you know, in your workplace, if you go to school, if you're a student, you know, whatever it is that you do, if you meditate on God's law, you see that uh, all, uh, you know, all, it describes you as all that he does, he prospers. It says the wicked are not so. It's the opposite with the wicked. But are like chaff that the wind drives away. So all this to say that we should avoid even the beginnings of sin when it is in its seed form. Now, the reason why this kind of counsel is often ignored or overlooked is because, it's, is because it always seems obvious to us that we should avoid wicked affiliation. Um, even the world speaks that way. Like, oh, don't, you know, don't hang out with bad people or don't hang out with anyone uh, with negative vibes. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, if you told someone you should avoid evil people, uh, chances are they will nod their head and say, yeah, de- yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, no one's going to say, are you sure I should do that? They're going to say, yeah, I agree, we should avoid evil people. And it seems, it seems so obvious um, that, you know, again, it's very common to overlook that kind of instruction. However, this is necessary. It's a necessary warning to the son there and to us as Christians. The father in the Proverbs is wise because he's well, he's, he's well aware of the common temptation for man to seek association with those who advance through evil means, right? If you're, if you're a high school student, it's cool to associate yourself with the bad people. It's just a cool thing. I don't even know if the word cool is used. Is that cool? I don't know. It, it's dope? It is dope to... <laughs> It seems dope to uh, associate with, uh, you know, the, the uh, people who are not following God, right? Uh, Christians in that kind of context are nerdy and, you know, that sort of thing. But, but again, the father in Proverbs is wise because he's aware of, of that temptation, you know, you see a group of people doing bad things, and they, they look like they're prospering. As we read in Psalm 73, uh, the, the prospering of the wicked. You know, they, they seem like they're having fun with life, and uh, it doesn't pay off. Um, and, and, we, and, and Asaph, the writer of that psalm, further down, you know, he, he was struggling with the temptation of, of, uh, of doubting God as he said, you know, why are the wicked prospering? And it wasn't until he entered into the temple, into the courts of God, that the, the scripture says his senses came back to him. His senses came back to him and he realized the end, what the end is for those people who live that life, who associate with uh, a bad lifestyle. Their end is destruction. And as Psalm uh, 1-4 says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Moving along, we must also ask ourselves, do people like this get away with their evil? Does terror and crime pay or pay off? We see from the last three verses in our passage, uh, verses 17 through 19, that crime and evil does not pay off. It says, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. And so sometimes 
me as a father, I see my children, like in my house, they're running fast. They're running around really fast with no fear. And part of me already foresees one of them bumping their head <laughs> or tripping and hurting themselves. And it never fails. It always happens. But because they're children and very inexperienced, they often can't predict danger, even if it's right in front of them. They're running so fast that they don't even see that they're about to hit the corner of the table. I remember when I was young, I had a friend who always seemed to be energetic and wanting to do things that would pump his adrenaline. And he would often do things that I knew were going to end badly. Um, and he would tease me for always being hesitant to do stuff. Uh, but my predictions were always right. My predictions were always right. Oddly, he would do things like jump from table to table. And I remember thinking to myself, how doesn't he see that he's about to get hurt? <laughs> he just doesn't see it. He just goes up and, and does it. Uh, I remember thinking to myself how, how he doesn't see it. And apparently, he couldn't seem to envision the inevitable, what was going to happen. And as he, got on the table and as he got on the table and leaped from one to the other, he, of course, he fell and hurt himself. And I'd stand there like, how didn't you know that was going to happen? And he just couldn't foresee it. He, you know, we would call that a fool. Right? And this is the same thing that happens with those who partake or try to affiliate or associate themselves with criminals. Um, or, or those who partake in crime or violence for selfish gain. People who think that this is cool, this is good, this is where I need to be. Verse 17 tells us that even stupid birds... That's what it says. I mean, it doesn't say that, but referring to the birds there. Even stupid birds will avoid a trap once it has knowledge that it's a trap. Yet a full-grown person often can't tell that certain lifestyles are nothing but a trap. And as it's described there in verse 18, it's an ambush for their own lives. And finally, verse 19 says, Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain, it takes away the life of its possessors. This reminds me of 1 Timothy 6, 9. It says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So what we learn from these verses in Proverbs is that the Father is speaking wisdom for the son to take heed to it because of the reality of the fallen world that we live in. It isn't, it isn't wisdom on how to escape the world. That's not what he's trying to teach him to do, to go hide and escape the world. But rather, he's teaching him and he's showing him wisdom on, on how to live in this fallen world with all its defects due to sin. Uh, it's a call to resist the enticements, right? It's a call to stay clear from the paths of evil, not only because they're evil, but because each one of us are capable, capable of evil also, and no one is ex exempt from such temptations. I think this speaks of our need for Christ. This speaks of our need for a spiritual rebirth uh, and our need for the Holy Spirit to help us overcome these temptations and to secure us in a path that leads to life and not this path of death. Uh, and this is found in Christ alone. Uh, thanks be to God that in Christ we're able to apply the wisdom of the Father to the Son, being that in Christ we have been given every spiritual blessing.
So what does it mean uh, as Christians, this, this passage? This means that uh, being that we're united to uh, the eternal Son, the wisdom that is being spoken of here um, is also wisdom that we ought to heed. And, and the Spirit empowers us to uh, follow in wisdom's way. So we, we, we have to rely on, on the Spirit of God uh, to walk in the way of the Spirit because the way of the Spirit is the way of Christ. Christ being the embodiment of wisdom itself. And so uh, uh, not being enticed means to put away or take off the flesh. Following in this instruction is to put on Christ. Well, yes. May I add an insight? Please. As I looked at this, I began realizing that as the Psalms point us to God and our relationship with Him, mm-hmm. the Proverbs point us to those around us mm. and our relationship with them. Yes. And as I started looking at this, I realized what this Father is doing is He's exegeting, exegeting. Uh, the second half, of most of the second half, of the commandments. Mm. It starts off with honor your father and mother. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. He's going right through those and what he's really doing is he's making it practical Mm. for the son. And it's really, to me that was really such a, it was just popping out so clearly I just wanted to share. Yeah, that's an excellent observation. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Let me close out with uh, uh, 1 Timothy 6, uh, verses 11 through 14. Um, I think this is a good charge in relation to the wisdom that we just read about. It says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me go ahead and pray and close this out. Our Father, we thank you for the instruction that we read in in Proverbs 1, uh, the wisdom from the Father expressed in these passages are are a guide to us. But it's also a sober reminder of the evil that exists in man's fallen nature. Lord, may we take heed the instruction and may we cling to Christ as he secured for us a path of righteousness that we could not have attained ourselves, Lord. And we thank you for that. May May you continue to guard us from the path of the wickedness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.